Welcome to episode 35 of the Daz Daz NBA podcast. I'm joined once again by Darren Hill. Darren, you've been under the weather a bit this week, though. How are you feeling tonight? Yeah, under the weather, but that correlates with, you know, time on the sofa in front of, um, you know, NBA. What's it even called? League Pass. League Pass. (laughs) How dare I, uh, how dare I bring up anything that sounds like the NFL, but, uh, yeah, I'm feeling okay, and it was a, a good week for basketball anyway. Yes, and you're off to the Ashes tomorrow. So a couple of weeks ago, it was a Melbourne Cup function. This week, it's the Ashes. I think you're more of an Aussie than I am these days. Oh, mate, I tell you what, I sure am. You know, I, got, <laughs> I, got, I got dipped in the Ashes in 0405, and uh, you know that was the towards the end of what I could tell was the heyday. With all the, you know, with um, Hayden and Langer and Warney and McGraw and all the rest of them. So, uh, yeah, look, I do, I do like my cricket. I gotta admit, I might be the only American who's ever said that, but I do like it. So, uh, yeah, off to the Gabba. It'll be a good time. Yeah, we might, we might revisit some of the Ashes talk as as we go on. There's a little bit of Easter eggs for our cricket fans out there but we really uh, we're both in I guess in a similar boat this week does in that we have actually been able to watch uh, some full games across the last week so we wanted to sort of change it up a bit tonight and actually talk about some of the games that we've watched and I guess some of the takeaways from that again really touching on good bad and the ugly across the NBA but just looking at it from a game point of view because generally I watch bits and pieces of games and if a game gets close I, I come in and watch the end of it, but I've been lucky this week that I've been able to catch some games pretty much in their entirety uh, across the week. And the first game that uh, that I came across was the Knicks and the Cavs uh, at Madison Square Garden. I'm happy to report that is that MSG is back as a as a sports destination. And in terms of of this game, I, I haven't enjoyed a regular season game this much since I can't remember when. I mean, it would be a number of years since sort of Le- maybe the, the early days of LeBron in Miami and, and some of those games uh, I enjoyed. But this one, I mean, to set the scene, and, and you saw that as, as you, as, as I, even as I was going into the game, I sort of thought, this is what makes the NBA, to my mind, the greatest league in the world and the greatest sport in the world because I just don't know what other sport could have set it up the way that this game was set up. So uh, in case you missed it, it starts out with LeBron talking about Dennis Smith Jr. because they played uh, Dallas on on the weekend before. And he said, uh, Dallas, I've got a good one there. He was impressed with Dennis Smith Jr. He said he should be a Nick. And then, of course, the Knicks took offence to that with Frankie Smokes, Frankie Nilakina. I should say. So, obviously, he was drafted ahead of Dennis Smith. So, question about nose first, though, Daz, because this is getting important there. What are you? Are you team Dennis Smith or are you team Frankie uh, Nilakina? Do I have to be on one or the other? You have to be one. You cannot sit on the fence. This is too important a question in today's NBA. You have to be one or the other. Oh, God. This is a question without notice. So I'm going to take complete recency bias and just amplify it times 100 and multiply it by uh, empty calories in Dallas <laughs> and select Frankie Smokes. I've, um, I like what I see in Frankie. Um, the defensive tenacity, a bit of confidence on the offensive end, uh, and the fire in the belly. Uh, I like him. I like where he's headed. 
which is not, again, you heard me say before, I think Smith and this, you know, a lot of these players as they are, it's a bit of luck in terms of who they're drafted by. Do they have the right opportunity? What's the environment they're brought into? And he's brought into a complete talentless pit uh, in Dallas. And so he might as well pull off his best Michael Carter Williams and just go for stats and go for flash. That's my concern about Dennis Smith. So, um, doesn't mean he's not a phenomenal athlete and has some has some skill, but I'm going to go Frankie Smokes. Yeah, Is that I, crazy? I, I agree with that. I, I'd go Frankie as well, but I would say that I guess Dennis Smith, his ceiling seems to be higher to me. I guess I think he's particularly his offensive ceiling is going to be higher. It's a much more offense driven league now, so you're thinking his ceiling's high, but he's also got a bit of a a sense to him. He's going to be a good stats bad team, good sort of guy. Maybe Corey McGetty type guy. Um, you'd hope he's a bit better than that, but that that's the sort of level he may get to. And and I've spoken about a number of times when you're playing for a losing team, Carter Williams is the best example of this, just picking up some bad habits uh, as you go through the season. And fortunately for the Knicks, they're winning some games at the moment. And I think Hornacek's really managing him well also. Like he's playing him in crunch time, but he's not starting him. Uh, he's just, he's, I, I imagine they would have a minutes management uh, plan in place for him. In terms of how many minutes he's he's doing uh, playing every night, and I'm like him, I'm seeing he's a great commitment to defense. Uh, six steals in the game we're going to talk about against the Cavs, uh, and he's not afraid to shoot the ball. Not the greatest shooter, but I, I think the offensive game will come with him. Um, just he's not the most athletic guy either, so we'll see how that develops as well. But still very young, of course, so that there's room to develop that that side of his game as well. So, but moving on from that. We had LeBron made them comments. Then Dennis Cantor took offence. Frankie Nilakuna didn't really say too much about it. He sort of, I think, was happy to let his uh, basketball do the talking when they got on the court. Uh, but once the game kicks off, of course, the crowd straight into it, and they're on LeBron. LeBron was actually strangely passive uh, early on in the game, which I found quite interesting. And then uh, the Knicks got out to a big lead. Nilla Kuhn, as I touched on, he had five steals, six steals across the game, and five steals in the first half, including one against LeBron, which was absolutely uh, the the crowd just lost it, and I thought the whole uh, roof might blow off MSG at one point. And then as the game goes on, the Knicks build their lead up. They were seventeen up at the half, and then of course the inevitable Cleveland comeback in the second half as Kyle Korver gets open. Other guys, uh, Channing Fry. you've got to give Channing Fry some credit. He comes off the bench ice cold, hasn't sniffed the court and goodness knows how long on the end of that Cleveland bench, just comes in and starts making threes straight off the bat. And then the great moment to me was, though, Daz, right at the end of the game, so the Knicks had their lead whittled down, Zinger goes to the line, he's one of four at the line down crunch time, and it's a tie game. LeBron comes down, dribbles down the three-point line, then looks up, and who's guarding him? Porzingis is guarding him. Then Porzingis, a big smile comes across his face. He realises this is the moment. And then uh, Clyde Frazier, who's calling the game from SGTV, says this is where LeBron loves to shoot the threes. He's going to back it up. He's going to run it. Porzingis, he's gonna, and then he's going to do the step-back three. He said, this is his spot. And Zinger mustn't have seen the scouting report, Daz, because he clearly wasn't ready for it. LeBron just took 10 steps back. The crowd, the buzz in the crowd was just fantastic. 
and then he comes in, takes the step back three, hits it in Zinger's face, and then just waltzes down the crowd with the arms out. And it just reminded me of the, the days of Michael Jordan gone past in the sort of early 90s when he ruled the garden. And I just thought, as much as the Knicks fans probably were upset that he hit that shot uh, to see MSG re- relevant again and to see another big moment on the court. Uh, just a great game. Uh, not Probably not the highest quality game. It was a bit of ebb and flow in terms of uh, the execution on both ends. I thought the Knicks obviously didn't finish the game off very well, missing through throws and things like that. But to see a moment like that, to see the crowd as engaged as they were, I thought was fantastic. And I mean, I just, and, and to touch on the earlier point, I just couldn't think of another sport which could create that sort of a moment where a guy puts all the pressure on himself coming into the game and then the whole game comes down to something he's going to do against the other team's best player and then he hits the shot and I thought that's what the NBA is all about. That's pretty well summarised. Look, it was um, I thought it was a pretty well-played game in so much as pretty well-played, but the, the theme for me this week in this game was certainly front and centre was this was the week of the big comebacks. This is the week where the 20-point leads disappeared and not over a period of you know, from the end of the first quarter till the final buzzer, we're talking 20-point leads disappearing in, in six minutes. So that, for me, this was sort of the first game of the week that had that, which was, I think, which made it exciting. You had that feel of inevitability about it, LeBron and his, you know, everything that he represents, um, and then this, you know, the young upstart team trying to hold them off. So that was that. That was the fun of the, I guess, the home crowd in the in the garden feeling is, come on, we can do this. We can hold off the dragon. <laughs> And, um, and they couldn't in the end, and you sort of feel like, oh, shit, it sure was fun trying to do it, though. So if there was ever a, an exciting loss to have in the Garden in November, this is probably a good one for it. That's what, that's what I remember about this game was obviously the comeback, and as you hinted at, you know, Channing Fry comes off cold and has five rebounds, four blocks, and three triples in about 15 minutes or something like that. So that was pretty cool. And... Um, the other thing this got to me to thinking about, and this is probably a theme uh, we'll revisit later as we talk about these other games, but it sure looked like guys like uh, Enos Cantor and um, and even Dougie McDermott had some moments in this game. It looked like they were having some fun. I was trying to think, when's the last time Enos Cantor and Doug McDermott had fun playing basketball? So um, I'm going to leave that as a rhetorical, but I think there's a theme here looking at uh, Sabonis and Oladipo and the Pacers had quite a, a hell of a week, and Cantor and and McDermott. I wonder if, you know, the Flotsam and Jetsam who've been skived off for the two Hall of Famers are they're probably not actually, you know, probably maybe not too sad about that. So um, anyway, that's the other thing that's this brought up for me is the what it means to not have to play with Russ and being in an environment that's kind of fun and teams are growing together and they've got some talent and figuring out how to win and you got some buzz going, so... That's well, I think uh, takeaway from this one. Tim Hardaway is a perfect Nick too because he just loves the big stage, and you just see him grow as that when that crowd gets behind him, he seems to grow an extra leg. And as much as he, he's clearly overpaid for what he's producing, and he didn't start the season shooting very well, but he's come on lately, and he played really well in this game as well. Twenty-eight points in forty-four minutes. Uh, hit some big shots down the street. He played really was, well. Yeah, it was yeah. not his fault that they lost this game. It really, come down. Sadly to Zinger, Zinger's been a little bit cold actually this week. He's, he's gone off after a really hot start. 
as I said, missed some free throws, didn't shoot the ball all that well. But uh, as a team, I thought the Knicks, and we, we've spoken about it a few times, they were pretty competent for the most part. It was really just that they sort of let go of the rope a little bit during that period when Fry and Corver came off and got hot. And that, and that can happen um, when you're playing a team like the Cavs. So, but look, just great. I think New York, when they're playing one of the teams at home this season, it's almost much watch, uh, must watch uh, NBA because it's, it's just great to see that crowd back and, and the the cast, the characters they got. And I'm really happy for Jeff Hornacek because I've always rated him as a coach and I thought he was in an impossible position as we've touched on uh, last year. So it's good to see him. And, and they're playing competent basketball. And even LeBron mentioned he had another shot at Phil Jackson after the game. Did you see that? When he mentioned that uh, Jeff must be just satisfied he can finally run his sets uh, each, <laughs> after each time out. How do, you, how do you not love LeBron for saying that stuff? I just I love when he has a go at him. That's great. I did hear that. He good said, on him. yeah, the old man's not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. So, so yeah, interesting week for the Knicks. You know, if you want to, yeah, because they had a kind of up and down week. So they had a tough loss, and they had a actually pretty nice victory against Utah. I think it was the next game, or yep. yeah, later in the week when Rodney Hood showed up. The Rodney Hood went crazy. He was he was on fire. Rodney Hood couldn't miss. Um, but the Knicks had a really nice comeback. Well, that was another Tim Hardaway uh, game too. Another nice team. Yeah, Hardaway had another nice game. They, they need the, the Knicks got with him. They, they got volume scoring from Hardaway. And I, and they go, yeah, he probably wasn't worth four seventy one at the signing, but he wasn't worth four seventy one if what you're getting is you know fourteen points a night and four assists. But if they can get this the twenty five and thirty point outbursts, you know, two or three times a week, mm-hmm. I think you might say he's probably worth it. Yep. So um, good on him for good on Hardaway for proving us all wrong. I think there wasn't a soul who thought that was a good contract. Um, but uh, that was another fun game. I caught parts of it. I don't. I don't tend to tune into the Jazz <laughs> um, this year. It's just too, you know. When they if they break eighty points, they should. You know, I think they're having parades now in Salt Lake. But uh, uh, it's a pretty entertaining game. That'll watch yeah, the Knicks back up a tough one, yeah. loss and um, overcome a Rodney Hood white hot sort of game and um, yeah, grind it on a nice victory in the fourth quarter. Yep. Well, to touch on your your comebacks, I know we both. Uh, watched some games on Saturday, Saturday in Australia, which would have been the Friday night in the US. And I had a number of games scheduled and I thought, I've got some jobs to do, I'll get in and do them and then I'll sit down and make sure I'm there sort of midway through the third quarter for the early slate of games. And I come over all excited, finally I I can sit down and watch some games and there was not one game, Daz, that was within single figures. Not one other than the ones that had just tipped off. And I was like depressed. I think there was actually there was one game it was the Cleveland Clippers, which was at half time at that point. So I was like, "Gee, this is a depressing slate of games." And to your point earlier, within five minutes, there was probably four games that were within single digits and really, really close. And one of those games was Detroit, Indiana, which I, I flicked onto, and Detroit were twenty up, and I thought, "Gee, that that expanded because it was actually a close game." When I'd last checked the scores, it went out to 22, I think, for Detroit. And then uh, you texted me and said the paces are coming back. So you actually watched that comeback. What did you make of that game? That was I watched the Indiana whole thing. Detroit. That was a fascinating game. Where it was a uh, again just a done. It was a um, yeah. I think the league got up to 22, something like that. And then Indian just went on a bit of a run, and they did it with <laughs> they did Stevenson. It was. It was the Lance Stevenson, Darren Collis, 
Sabonis um, and Corey Joseph. It was kind of an interesting lineup. Um, who was the other one? And Thad Young, I think, played. I don't know if they even brought Young Thad off Young the court that 30 night. Thirty-nine minutes, yeah. Yeah, thirty-nine minutes. So that's what it was. So it was like Sabonis, Joseph, Stevenson, um, Collison, and some Thad Young going on, uh, and uh, they just. It's interesting this Indiana team. You look at them and they just shouldn't. They shouldn't be any good, right? They, they look like it. Well, I guess they're built like a thirty-eight win team. And they're down by 20, and Detroit's kind of having their way, and Tobias is doing his thing, and no one can really body up Drummond. Drummond was Drummond, was Drummond you know. Um, but, um, yeah, that was a really – look, it's still a bit of a vanilla game. There's not, I guess, meteoric like that a couple will talk about in a, in a minute. But Detroit had a bad week, right? So Detroit, I think, entered the week 10-3, and three, mm. yeah, right, right behind Boston, and I think they lost three or four. Three out of four, or four out of five. If, um, I think we count today's game. Including so, just uh, blown out today by the Cavs. I mean, they were down forty in that game heading into the last quarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Cavs have found a, they found a bit of a gear this week. Um, well, inevitable. You talk about them, but yeah, look, nothing, nothing major to report other than a, if you enjoy a tokenism and enjoy a bit of. Uh, Lance Stevenson going off for 13 points in 18 minutes, hit both of his three-pointers, grabbed eight rebounds. He seemed to be everywhere. He was bodying up Reggie Jackson. He was bodying up Tobias Harris. He's literally revving the crowd up with every shot. And even in those plays where, you know, Lance is Lance, and Indiana would make a nice defensive stop, and the game was close at this point. We're talking crunch time. And they make a nice defensive stop, and he like literally just strolls from the defensive end to the to the front court, and you know Collison's doing some action on the side, and Lance literally isn't fucking paying attention. He's just standing like two lead feet outside the three point line. Sure enough, Collison's pounding the rock for 21 seconds. The ball gets fired out to Lance. He catches it and just just completely calmly, as if it was meant to be, with you know one second left in the shot clock, just cold buries a cold blooded. Is that, is that our phrase? Yeah. Cold, cold, cold-blooded, twenty-seven footer, boom! As if it was, as if the play was drawn up that way. And he just stands there and like looks at the crowd, right? Like as if this was his home. So you just love, you just love the manufactured swagger when uh, a guy, a guy like Lance Stevenson or uh, Lance Stevenson or uh, Dion Waiters, I think they're doppelgangers. They get it going, and the fucking crowd just goes crazy. So that's what that game was about—just a bit of Lance just posing and Lance draining crazy big buckets, hustling for offensive rebounds. Just one of those games where you need that energy guy off the bench. And he was the energy guy. He was draining the threes. He was grabbing boards in minutes of pure bliss. So he was plus 16 in his 18 minutes. So that was a Lance show. Well, they've been involved in a lot of class games, the Pacers, it it seems. And uh, they've been about 50-50. Their record is at 500. So that's... Works out. What I saw when I sort of turned back over, I saw Detroit got away from their execution, and there was a lot of one-out basketball. Uh, that so they sort of got away from the way they would built the lead, and then uh, as you, to your point, Stevenson just caught fire at the other end. He was the offensive rebounds were just ridiculous, and Sabonis was bullying him inside, uh, even with Drummond out there. So that, uh, but there was another nice game from Luke Kennard. Did some nice things in that game as well for the Pistons, another rookie to watch. Uh, he was 8 from the field, 13 points. Uh, and it looked, just looked 
looked good, and and the and the rap on him heading into the year was he could be another JJ Reddick type. And I tell you, I didn't see anything to dissuade me from that notion. Uh, he's coming off, particularly from the shooting point of view, does just coming off screens and being able to hit that spot three. I think he's going to be a a, a quality NBA player uh, for his career. One of many rookies that we can say that about. Yeah, I don't know what was going on. He went through that funk where he played a bit early on, and there was a game there, a stretch for you know six or seven games where he's barely getting you know ten minutes, and then suddenly he's just ticked up again recently. So yeah, Kennard had a really good week. He does sort of pass the eye test. You know, he's never going to never going to mistake him for Andrew Wiggins athletically, but he passes the eye test. He plays. Um, he hits some big shots. So uh, yeah, it was a rough week for rough week for the uh, the Pistons, but. I think Kennard's proving to be at least a rotation player. Let's let's, mm. let's leave it at that. Let's not go crazy, but yeah, he definitely passes the eye test in terms. Well, of, that's what I mean. I, I think not, he's going yeah. to have a career in the NBA. Put it that way. Yeah, um, yeah. So far, so good. So far, so good. So another another big comeback on Saturday same day, but this one was a bit of more of a slow burn. As was the San Antonio Spurs at home against OKC, and I made the prediction to you the day before, so I don't know if the Spurs will get 75 points in this game, and they were down 32 to 15 after a quarter, and I thought, well, that's it, they're not going to get to 75, I was right on that one, turned it off, and then every time I clicked it over, there wasn't really a burst, it was just, they'd make a little run, like a 6-2 run, or even a uh, 8-6 run, just they grounded the way, and even Pop said after the game, he said it was just basic basketball, get down the get down to the basics of the game, try and get some stops, don't don't try and get it back in one hit because this is not a Spurs team at the moment that can do that. And by the end of the third quarter, they'd whittled that down to nothing and then they brought it home. OKC okay, so losing another close game, not really playing that well in, in crunch time. But I was strangely, I don't know how much you saw about of this game, but I was strangely encouraged in this game by OKC because I think their defence is going to be elite. I mean, they're going to be a top five defensive team, I think. And and I just it just gets the feeling to me that this is just not an offence that's worked itself out yet. And we're only sort of, what are we, 18, 17, 18 games of the season. You wouldn't expect these teams to be functioning at all cylinders, particularly same parts that they've got. And I just, particularly with Westbrook, I get the sense, A, he's not playing as well as he was last year anyway, but... I just don't, and we made this point last week. Uh, you, in particular, made the point that I don't think he's really used to the the, the different players they have on this team yet. Um, he's they're just not playing at the right pace. Then not everyone's on the same page. I think give this team another ten, fifteen games, and I think you'll see the improvement offensively uh, for them. And I think they're going to be a much tougher team to beat. If, if, but the, the problem for them is they are falling under five hundred. You don't want to fall too far behind um, and not have home court advantage uh, against the Spurs and, and probably even more against the Rockets. Yeah, look, I, I saw um, most of this game. Uh, I turned it on the second quarter. I think it was flipping back and forth, right? It's like you like you said, it was the lead was twenty three, twenty four, something like that. So I wasn't terribly interested. But when it got, when it got down to fifteen, that's when I thought, yeah, let's let's take a look see. And sure enough, it just was the um, the pop way, just the machine ground down, just ground him down. And, and Russ couldn't buy a shot, and he was awful. Five for twenty two, yeah, right? So yeah. that's probably a, an extreme outlier, but. 
um, from from his personal, uh, I guess, his just a performance perspective. But this was case number, I guess, at this point, number five or number six of his combined failure. So that's yeah. the thing that was compelling, right? Is that we got clo- the game got close by the halfway through the fourth, the, the, you know, the twenty-three to nine, and basically it was a it was an even game, you know, for the last, you know, and it, you could just feel that rust out yet, and it's it's hard because what you, as we've said before, right? Uh, just using those two simple counting metrics, he's indeed moving the ball more, but right, so you go, when Russell Westbrook is playing a more passive facilitator game i bet he himself like where does he run to where does he go how quickly does he move the ball do i get it within you know the first five seconds of the shot clock or do i try to break the defense down a little bit do i do it in the pnr friday like he's still working out how the heck do i actually do this and i wonder if that actually is why we're seeing the losses is the other players are like well you're playing like someone who we don't know either like the russ we know is the you know, the five, part of me wonders is if does Russ actually need to be more Russ and let everyone feel like does it, do they need um, do they need someone to go public? Do they need Paul George to go? You know what, mate? You're trying to facilitate, trying to get us all involved, but this is your team, right? You take you go a thousand miles an hour and leave it to us to work out our games in our our style of play around you. Mm. And I wonder Russ trying to be. Right, the LeBron of the Miami Heat, without the power that he said, "Look, this is LeBron's team. This is my my franchise." But this team, as it's constructed, is LeBron's. So that's what I. That's the unknowable question, and I don't know if that's if Donovan's got the nous to work that out. But will that for me feels like Russ isn't Russ, and they're losing games. So maybe Russ needs to be Russ and trust that the surrounding cast are a couple of Hall of Famers who will figure it out. Yeah, I think they probably need to go back to uh, a couple of years ago. Not even necessarily last year, but see when, obviously, OKC come so close to winning the whole thing with uh, Russ and KD. And say to Paul George, look, this is the type of basketball we need you to play. And Russ, this is the type we need you to play. So, And I sort of felt like there'd be a bit of your turn, my turn, about this offense. But I don't think it hasn't sort of worked that way. And they just seem to be overthinking things a bit. Um, it's either they're going too fast or they're going too slow. They just can't quite get the pace right. Um, that's what, and certainly that's what I saw in this game was either Russ trying to push the fast forward button and it not coming off, uh, or other. And and, and the ber- the perfect case in point was uh, Paul George had an isolation. He had Kyle Anderson on him late. And then passed it off, and I think Russ Westbrook in the end, or actually Westbrook got it over to Camillo, who took a contested three and missed it. And I just sort of thought, well, that Paul George was in the best position there. And I, and I was thinking back a couple of years ago, that would have been just KD saying, well, okay, this is going to be two points uh, for me. So that's the I think the mentality and the mindset that they need to get into. But just on on Russ's numbers, his numbers are down across the board. But the worrying thing is he's shooting under forty percent from the field. He's shooting thirty two percent from three. That's another great. Surprise! That's about just a tick over his career average. He's only shooting seventy-one percent from the line as well, though. So that's that's a bit of a worry. Also, is the fact that he's still getting to the line. Three throw attempts a game is um, six point three, which is a bit under his career average. But you'd expect that given that his usage is down. But yeah, the seventy-one percent from the line be a bit of a worry. So he he's just not playing as well 
even the, if, if he's not at, at the pace that he needs to be at uh, for himself. But just across the board, his percentages are down, which would be a worry and something that I guess the Thunder need to, to right the ship. But I, I'm not... I was panicking a little bit about the Thunder last week. Having watched them in this game, I'm not as, I'm not as down on them. Um, but the Spurs, they just keep on keeping on. There's 11 and 6... Aldridge was brilliant in this game. As, as much as he's had his detractors, LaMarcus Aldridge, he has been fantastic uh, to start this big man thus far in the season than LaMarcus Aldridge. Maybe, I guess, the AD combination in, in, in New Orleans, but um, he, he's been a beast. He's been, he's been, looks like old Portland Bombay, right? So I don't know if it's... I don't know if the fact that they've won all their games against the Mavs, the Bulls, the Hawks, the Clippers, the Suns, the Hornets, the Heat. Oh, they did beat the Raptors early on and the Bulls again. So I'm like, they haven't really beat anybody though, right? So look, the good win against the Thunder, that's fair. But they've had a really soft schedule. Um, but good on them for, I guess, getting to 11-6 without, without Kawhi and TP. Um, and two whipping boys from last year's playoffs, Al Horford and, and LaMarcus. Yep. They're both playing really well. I have to. I have to. Say, they're both. They're both doing their things. They're doing what they do best. Uh, Lamarcus, which is inch jumpers, and Al Horford playing. You know, like Al Horford played in Atlanta, like a really great facilitator. So mm. I lump these two together because they're lumpy. So they're lumped together forever. <laughs> the horrible playoffs. And they took all kinds of criticism last year, but um, but yeah, this. Um, I was going to go back to OKC, which was I watched them again today, right? So they played uh, the Pelicans. So fast forward three games, and uh, Russ was not quite as inefficient, six for nineteen, but he was a beast on the boards, sticking towards uh, twelve assists, only three turnovers, and but again, similar story. They were outscored by looks like it. They outscored by fourteen in the second half against the Spurs. Um, Sorry, outscored by 10 in the second half against the Spurs and outscored by 12 in the second half against the Pelicans and lost 114-107. Again, close game. They had to lead the entire first half, a nice lead at halftime, whittled away in the third, and then nothing, nothing in crunch time. I think I even joked to you that um, we had the battle of the, you know, the blubbery 35-year-old point guards with Ray Felton going chest-to-chest with Jameer Nelson in the fourth quarter. And... Uh, Jameer getting the best on Ray Felton. Jameer was a remarkable plus 30 in 18 minutes today. No joke. He was a plus 30 in his 18 minutes. I tell you, I don't think the, the Pelicans have ever had such bliss coming off their bench, right, for how much shit we've given them and how much shit the world's given them. But uh, between Tony Allen, Jameer Nelson, you know, D-Dot Cunningham and D-Dot Miller, they were well, balling. they're professionals. I mean, that's and that's the thing about yeah. Jameer Nelson. He's never going to be the best player on the court, but he's never going to be the worst player on the court. And he's just a professional. He's going to turn up and do his job every night. And Ray Felton, I, I never understood that there was a bit of sort of, oh, Ray Felton's a nice backup for Russ Westbrook, and I, I didn't really get that. Um, not a player that, uh, that, that inspires any confidence in me, and that, that's been a big problem for them on the bench. I, I pointed out to you today Patrick Patterson's numbers uh, 18 minutes, zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks, one turnover, four personal fouls, minus 18. Do you play 18 minutes or 15 minutes? 
23, 23 minutes. minutes. <laughs> Ray Felton. I go, what? That's the other reason. No, I go, no, that was Patrick Patterson. I was talking about. Sorry. Oh, sorry, Patterson. I thought you were going back to, to um, Felton. I was just talking Patterson, about that bench, yeah, in, in general. Patterson played 13 minutes. Um, minutes. And he, yeah, he scored. He's right. He missed one shot, committed four fouls. Boom. Patrick Patterson's year in a nutshell. I don't know what's going on with that kid. He's I just thought that was off the off the. Uh, I don't know what's happened. Talk about a guy who has no clue how to fit in. But what's he averaging? What's his averaging three points a game? Can you believe that? Yeah, two point nine points a game. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like he was hailed as one of the really most clever value signings. Right, the stretchy four. Yep. Um, who can stretch the floor and give some space to these guys? And no, he's been a disaster. So I don't know. I have no idea what's happened. So that's got to Donovan's got to be playing with that. So then Felton gets a big run, and Abrinas is getting more and more playing time. Which again, you just don't really need him playing 18, 20 minutes a game. Um, that's what he's been doing. He's been playing, yeah, twenty minutes plus every single game. Abrinas, and he's also not a shooter there. But yeah, their bench has been terrible. So who would have thought that um, the Pelicans bench? You know, the Tony Allen grabs rebounds in, in eighteen minutes. He was all over the place. Playing D, playing his miniature Lance Stevenson role, getting the crowd fired up. Um, D Miller drained drained a whole bunch of threes. I still don't know what his first name is. I just know he hit a bunch of threes. <laughs> it's Darius, yeah, they scored, by the way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they scored. So the Pelicans bench right scored twenty six points on fifteen shots, and the Thunder bench scored twenty three points on twenty four shots. That's pretty much what you need to know. Wild efficiency versus wild inefficiency. So there you go. Mm. Russ sat for, for nine minutes, and the team was minus 16 in the nine minutes he was off the floor yep. in a seven-point game. So they've got, they've got a bunch of problems in OKC, but on the flip side, good on, good on the Pels. Right? Mm. The Pels have kind of seemed to figure some stuff out, and they did this the entire second half without, without Boogie. Boogie got ejected kind of early in the third. Um, not, a crazy, not a crazy thing, just in the heat of the moment. And, um, yeah, Anthony Davis was a beast. They, they couldn't do anything but follow him. Anthony Davis shot 22 free throws yeah. today. And these weren't these weren't uh, homer referees. This was Anthony Davis just throwing his body everywhere. So you had to, he had to make calls. So these were calls you just had to make. And, you know, guys like Steven Adams weren't about to let him, you know, go, go uncontested. So really, really interesting game mm. now that I think about it. So all due respect to the comeback by San Antonio. That's what we come to expect from San Antonio. This was a this was a really interesting game today, and uh, you're right. I think the Thunder probably have let's give them some time. Um, their plus minus looks pretty good, right? Or their I guess their net rating rather. They're still like a plus three and a half points or something like that. But there's some worrying signs. There's some worrying signs. That's for sure. Well, we're talking about second units, and you've written down here on our spreadsheet one game you're watching, and you want a bit of money on this game too. I believe does uh, the Raptors. And the Rockets, and you've said the Raptors second best unit in the NBA, and you don't care what the stats say. Well, I wonder if the stats would back me up. I just literally haven't done research to look at look at bench scoring or bench plus minus. But um, I saw the the Raptors. Yeah, I just had a hunch about them. I just they're passing the eye test, right? They they won a couple of really close games against a couple beatable teams. I just saw them figuring out they beat like the the Bulls and the Pelicans last week, and then lost a heartbreaker just a heartbreaker like the Celtics keep winning these heartbreaking games a game that the, the Raptors could have won seven times but they didn't um so they just lost this heartbreaking game with the Celtics but played really really well and then they went down to Houston the next night 
and bombed the Rockets. They just played fucking lights out defense and beat them 129-113. And what I consistently see from them is a couple of things. One, I see the bench play. And the bench is going eight, not even eight deep, nine deep and ten deep. Um, so they're getting all kinds of contributions from um, from Drell Wright, from, from Freddie Van Vliet, um, the hardest name, Van Vliet. Yeah, he he of um, Wichita State fame. He and Ron Baker had that that famous college uh, duo backcourt, fucking dynamic college backcourt. Um, uh, uh, Pascal Siakam playing crazy good defense and all over the place. He's their energy guy. C.J. Miles, talk about their Patrick Patterson signing. C.J. freaking Miles. That guy's never forgotten how to shoot. He just feels it every single night. And so I like just the way their bench has been playing. And then um, Pirtle the Turtle has been playing solid. So kudos, right? So the bench has been playing great. Um, And that, for me, is a signal to how uh, Casey is managing his rotations and managing his time and being, I think, a little more fluid, a little more free, a little more, I guess, uh, not creative. I don't want to go too far, but he's 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 loosened the leash, I guess, on what he, I guess, what I saw was the Lowry, Ibaka, DeRozan team, and everything's going to just revolve around making the three of them successful. And I'm just seeing a lot more, lot more sets and a lot more rotations from from their bench, and they're fucking performing. So they had a brilliant week. So they bombed the, the Houston in Houston with just a suffocating performance. Um, they got killed on the boards, and they just shot lights out, played great defense, uh, didn't really turn the ball over, and had 28 assists on 41 baskets. Just a fantastic game. And then they had um, they backed it up. Um, so they beat the Rockets. They beat the Pels in, in, um, in New Orleans, came back home and destroyed the Knicks predictably. And then again, um, John Wall's first game back from his, his little hiatus. They um, they handled uh, Washington pretty handily in the fourth quarter. Again, a close game throughout, but ended up beating the Wizards by nine. And again, it wasn't really as close as you... Sorry, I lied. Wall wasn't back for that game. No, that was the game... One, yeah. Wall missed that one. That's the game where I was watching these god-awful um, Bradley Beal, Marcin Gortat, these two five pick-and-rolls... And Gortat didn't know where to the slide. And Bradley Beal doesn't have a handle on a first step. And so I was getting on Scotty Brooks that game. Just the, the crunch time sets by Washington without John Wall were Tim Fraser getting lost and afraid to shoot the ball and Bradley Beal trying to create and not being able to create. So, um, so that game was probably more about Washington's missing wall and having no options in crunch time. But uh, still, a uh, solid game by the Raptors, a game they could have easily lost. <coughs> they didn't play their best, but, um, yeah, they had a phenomenal week. They were 4-0 this week. So uh, kudos to their bench. Kudos to Freddie Van Vliet playing serious crunch time minutes and to Dwayne Casey for um, for what he's doing. Yeah, no, I, I think there's, there's no doubt that they've changed their style a little bit. It, it, it's the same... In crunch time, we saw that against Boston. They did sort of revert the hero ball, and we saw DeRozan take what I thought was a pretty bad shot uh, to try and win that game. They lost by a point. But in the general play, they're moving the ball around a heck of a lot, and, they, and particularly against the Rockets. And the Rockets, you know, I'm not a fan of the Rockets' defense, but it wasn't that they weren't trying on defense and they weren't engaged. I mean, the Rockets turned up to play this one, and they're at the moment the second-best team in the NBA. So... 
to come in and, and beat the Rockets the way that they did uh, was very, very impressive. And just the way they did it, they were just open shots all night. CJ Miles, to your point, was, was hitting shots, shot after shot. And just he just one of those guys that just looks like a player. Uh, every time you see him, he's always impressive. He passes the eye test well and truly. So uh, I agree with you. I like, I like to look at this team. And after talking myself out of them before the season started, uh, once again, I find myself excited about uh, the potential of, of Toronto moving forward into the playoffs because I could certainly see them uh, challenging Cleveland more and I think they're better place to challenge Cleveland uh, and some of these other teams in the East this year from what I've seen at the moment and, and credit to Dwayne Casey for the way he has changed the way they're playing a little bit in that sense. Uh, another game I wanted to talk about, Daz, was one today and I know that you watched as well um, and I'll just read to everyone what you've said about it, the little comment that you've made was uh, flashes of brilliance, then sludge. So what, mm. what game were you talking about there, Daz, just to enlighten our listeners? So it's back to the Wizards again. So Johnny Wall is back. Um, that was Bucks, Bucks Wizards, which was a nondescript first quarter. And then we saw the self-actualized Bucks in the second quarter which was this frenetic defense creating all kinds of transition opportunities, um, chase down blocks, swarming steals, deflections, uh, Giannis in the open court. And just he's got that feeling like, shit, if they keep this up for another, even for another quarter, this is going to be a Bucks are going to win by 20. But they didn't. They ran out of gas or they couldn't turn it on or I don't know what happened, but Halftime came, third quarter came around, and then it looked like it was the, uh, you know, it looked like the, looked like the Wizards look without John Wall, awful sets and Bledsoe missing a ton of shots and Giannis missed, I looked at it, he missed seven shots in the restricted zone. He came into the game shooting seventy nine percent. He was at the eighty two percent before the Dallas game, still up at seventy nine percent on the season inside the restricted, and he missed seven shots near the rim today and just the balls wasn't going in. It wasn't like he was, you know, getting, it wasn't like Gortat was some immense force or Marquise Morris was, but doing really well to wall him off. The ball just wasn't going in. And when Giannis, you know, those shots aren't falling for Giannis. You need someone else to shoot and hit, hit the threes. And dare I say, when you don't have Deli and Telly or Nelly and, and belly and Zelly, as we said, <laughs> Um, this is the one day I get, this is the one day where you miss Deli and Telly just standing out there anchored to the three point line, jacking it. Cause they just didn't have it. So a, a quarter of brilliant frenetic, um, defense that creates all kinds of offense and the crowds riled up. And then just a half of just grinding rock fight, sludgy basketball on both teams. Cause the Bucks defense was still solid and John Walls, something's not right with John Wall. I don't know what's not right with him, but he's not 100%. Um, no, he they doesn't exactly... seem to have much lift behind his shot, just not getting up and down the court with the sort of speed and fluidity that you'd expect either. What what, what kept him out? I, I didn't even sort of track. It wasn't me. Kept... They, they just... Um, uh, yeah, okay. It was a, it just a bit of maintenance. So they just said, look, because it was a back-to-back, they kept him out uh, for a quote-unquote rest day. Uh, but... Yeah, there, there, there's something, but it just that's how it feels anyway. It just doesn't seem like the same. A little player, swelling so. on the knee or something, I suppose. Yeah, yeah I guess that's, that's what I'm reading. Just a bit of a knee something. 
So that's a bit of a yeah, look. That's an amber flag, right? That's not almost a red flag. But if that persists, we see what happens when Kyle Lowry wasn't wasn't optimal. Kyle Lowry last year, he turned into Donuts Lowry when you just you know you're seventy percent of yourself. That's a massive worry for Washington if if he doesn't you know uh, just something to watch. I guess as the as this marathon grinds on, mm. um, if he's going to need more rest or if this is something that's going to need a little off season scope or something. But um. Yeah, it was not a pretty game. Not a pretty game. We probably no, shouldn't talk I, too much look, more about it. Look, I think the only thing I'd say about Milwaukee, I think they need to uh, bring that intensity. Every They're not a team that can half ass it. And we certainly saw that in Dallas when they went into Dallas and just laid an almighty egg two games ago. Um, so that they're a team that they, if they have a night off, they're going to lose much more often than they win. Uh, they need to have that level of intensity. And I just, I worry for the Bucks. and I said this to you today, in the playoffs when the game slows down a bit, is their offense going to function? Um, because just to me, just not enough shooting on the floor, um, and but t- and the bench units are just horrible, absolutely horrible. I mean, spoiler alert: I've just I've got up the bench scoring units. I'm going to use it for the quiz a bit later on. But uh, Milwaukee are second last in the NBA in terms of bench scoring, uh, and Brogdon moving to the bench will potentially help that. But uh, I don't think it's going to push it over the top to where they need it. So we're we're seeing some of the warts, I think from the Milwaukee Bucks uh, as this season goes on. some of the And that was a terrible loss, obviously, to Dallas. But sometimes you say, well, look, you, you can put in a bad shift. But uh, I wasn't overly impressed with what I saw from them today, either against the Washington team that had been struggling leading into that one. Uh, but let's move on to, I guess, the biggest game of last week, Daz. We sort of buried the lead by, by putting this game back so far. But that was Boston Golden State, Boston on a 16-game win streak now. They pull out another game out of their nether regions today. They looked down and out against Dallas and got that one home in overtime. But uh, a big comeback in this game against Golden State as well. Uh, I watched the replay of it, but I know you watched it live, so I'll get yours for the take first, and then I'll, I'll let you know what I thought. But uh, I wouldn't say it was the most entertaining game. It was a bit of a a scrappy sort of game, but very, very high-level defense from both teams. But w- w- what did you see? Hot, that, that's it. it. Ridiculous defense. So it just it just jumps off the page, right? Where you can see when it's the, you know, when it's all due respect, when San Antonio and OKC are just kind of grinding it out, or you know, Milwaukee and Washington for that matter, where it's just kind of these sludgy games, or right, it's just a bit sludgy. It's less. It's more about lack of execution, lack of focus, lack of energy. That was not what Golden State Boston had. This was a low-scoring game in the first half, but it was just fucking amazing defense on every set um, by both sides. I could, I could just list every single name of the players, but both sides were playing amazing defense, and every shot was contested. Every shot was tricky. Curry didn't have clean looks. Um, Kyrie didn't have... Kyrie play? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Kyrie was back. Yeah. Kyrie had his mask back on. Um, he scrapped the mask but had it back for this one. But um, so amazing defense on both teams. And then then Golden State did, does what Golden State did. Find a couple creases, the create some turnovers that create transition that turn into uh, raining a couple threes and winning about a – I guess between the end of the second period and the, you know, uh, halfway through the third, they built sort of a, they built a nice lead. It's probably, oh gosh, what was it? 19 points, I think. 
17-point lead was the biggest lead, 17, like midway through the third. And then in the most unlikely, so just had that feeling of inevitability, right, which is the, you know, both teams are going to continue to play great defense. Golden State had this seven, eight-minute stretch where they've just dominated, and you're like, okay, they might even it out for the rest of the game, maybe Boston claws back a bit, but it feels like maybe this game's going to end up, you know, an eight- to ten-point victory for Golden State. And literally in a matter of, I'd have to probably check the stats, four minutes? I think it was a four-minute run. It was very but quick, yeah. It was very quick. Boston went on a 19-0 run in the most unlikely manner, which was basically Jalen Jalen Brown doing everything. He drained two big threes, played amazing defense, hit a really tough runner on a fast break, and just one of those typical what most 19-0 runs look like in the NBA that happened in four minutes, that everything's clicking on one end. They get a bit of momentum. As soon as they score the first five to seven points, now they've got the confidence back. You've forgotten that it was a 19 or 17 point lead. It's now down to 10 and feels manageable. And it just whoosh, they got another wave again. And it was literally four minutes. And that lead was, uh, it was a 19 0 run. We actually took the lead and then had a very, uh, very high quality fourth quarter. So they basically wiped out the entire lead in the third period. So within that entire third quarter, Golden State built a 17-point lead and then lost it all within the one period. The fourth quarter then was basically played to a tie. Uh, every Super close, every possession contested. Um, every every pass, you know, a little bit you know, deflected, a little bit off. Uh, every three-throw was important, and Boston pulled it out 92-88 in the, probably the highest quality 92-88 game you'll, you'll, you'll ever see. And that's when you just sort of say, holy fuck. How did Boston turn over 11 players and generate the best defense in the NBA? I will, that is for, I don't know if it's the magic of chemistry, partially the brilliance of coaching, uh, a little bit of luck sprinkled in with uh, some leprechauns, but it is, it's unfathomable where on paper, I think most of us worry that this team wasn't going to be able to rebound and they weren't going to be able to defend at the highest level. They'd like that we got all these, long switchy wings we thought oh they're probably going to be a you know definitely top half of the league defensively but not like this not better than golden state defensively defense oh they're they're way out too i mean it's not just it's not a closely run thing that they're the best defensive team in the nba at the moment they are far and away the best defensive team in the nba uh Kyrie irving's playing fantastic defense uh, Horford, there's stats that suggest he's the best defensive player in the league at the moment. Uh, Aaron Baines has been fantastic. Brown and Tatum aren't being pushed around despite being young guys. Uh, Rogier's played really, really well off the bench defensively and offensively. Marcus Smart's always been a good defender. But as, as a team, the team commitment to defense is just absolutely fantastic. And it was a good thing to see. I mean, the, the frustrating thing for me in this game, and I know it frustrated you as well, and why, what I felt took away from the spectacle was the officiating. It was just so uh, haphazard. And, I mean, what I saw from the comeback was uh, KD drives, gets hacked, and you go, okay, well, they're not calling that. They're letting him play a bit physical. And then Steph gets well, called for two touch fouls in a row, and Steph Curry had to sit. And all of a sudden, I mean, not, look, it'll be a long time before I'm crying for the Golden State Warriors getting bad officiating. Don't worry about that. But... Just in terms of the spectacle of that game, I thought there was a little bit of an asterisk on it. Steph gets in foul trouble on two very, very soft foul calls, has to sit on the bench, and that was 
part of that sort of run that, that, that Boston made. Well, it was a little. It wasn't much part of the run, but it was definitely the fourth quarter. I I almost blacked it out because I I could just I could breathe fire. You know that the, the NBA gave the Cleveland the game against the Bucks, which was which was beyond egregious. Uh, Jason Kidd even you know held his tongue during the game just so he wouldn't get teed up to give the Cleveland more points. Got fined quite violently for his comments after the game. And I'd say this was this was close. It wasn't quite that bad. It was close. It was egregious. Um, Thirty-eight free throws attempted for Boston to nineteen for Golden State. And I, yeah, like you said, you don't lose too much sleep for the Warriors. But it was he just won a, such a high quality game. You'd like to be seen on, played on an even playing field. And I I almost forgot about it. You're right, Des. It was it was obscene. Mm. It, it was it was obscene. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll 38, thirty-eight to nineteen. Yeah, I do sort of sense too. There'll be some regression to the moon for Boston. Uh, they're going a ridiculous run at the moment. I think there will be some regression back uh, in terms of that defensive rating. Uh, we'll see how much that is. I mean, don't forget they weren't a, exactly a great defensive team last year either. So it's a completely uh, new. It's just completely unexpected from this team. You, you expected maybe they were going to be very good offensively, but to, to be good, this good. To, defensively uh, has just been a major uh, surprise to me but obviously a big credit to Brad Stevens and what he's built in the offseason because there certainly is a team system that they're playing to uh, and uh, Aaron Baines always felt Aaron Baines was going to be a good signing for this team and he's exceeded even my expectations so to also put it in perspective um, look there will be some regression and they are playing, playing phenomenal but um, they've played 18 games, and if you include, well, you have to include them because they're 10 and 7. If you include the Knicks, they've played exactly four games against teams who are currently above 500. Yeah. Cleveland, the Knicks, the Spurs, and Golden the um, and and Golden State. Mm. Otherwise, it's been Nets, Hornets, Lakers, Hawks, Magic, Thunder, Kings, Heat, Bucks, 76ers. Are 76ers above 500? They're just above five. Well, they actually they're at five. They right? are. So it's they're, five. They're above, so yeah. let's, they, let's just say they haven't played a murderer's row, you know, of, you know, uh, Toronto, Detroit, uh, Washington, Houston, San Antonio, Portland, etc. So it's, mm. look, 16 and two is 16 and two, and they're playing phenomenal. But let's see when it gets a little more road heavy, a little more top heavy. But um, it, that's not in any way to criticize what Boston's done. Awful officiating for that game. That was not reminding me. It was is borderline criminal. So Golden State and Milwaukee are owed owed victories. Those are the two worst officiating games I've seen since almost Steve Nash got thrown on the scores table. It's just crazy. I don't get it. I don't. I just don't. I really. I literally don't understand how it's allowed. I don't understand how referees are are, are not judged. You know how the um they do this thing every year. Right? Every game they've got the system right where they rate them and. They make public the last two minutes. Um, I haven't read too much about it this year, but it just how does this happen? How does it happen? It's almost systemic. Uh, anyway, yeah. you're going to get me on a rant. But well, I think Boston they got a test coming up at Miami. Miami have been playing a little bit better. That's one I'm, I'm looking out for in terms of marquee matchups for the following week. Only one game on the slate tomorrow, Daz. I know you're looking forward to this: the Chicago Bulls at the Lakers. That's certainly one uh, to put in the diary. I've been really looking forward to that one for some time. I'm still scratching my head as to how that's the only game on the slate of the NBA tomorrow and at what stage people thought, well, that's a good game to put on. 
Um, well, because it's, it's the day before Thanksgiving, right? So in, in the U.S. And, and Thanksgiving Day is all about, uh, you know, the Knicks playing at home in early game. There's an awesome game on Thanksgiving, right, which is Toronto at New York. That'll be a really entertaining game, right? Again, contrasting styles. You got um, Portland at Philly also that day, tipping off 30 minutes before that. That should be really fun. Um, and who do you got later in the day? Golden State, Oklahoma City. So yeah, you got Russ. Golden State, Oklahoma City. Yeah, that'll be fun. So three really entertaining games and that the Spurs, day. Spurs at the Pills. Yeah, pretty interesting. Two teams in the middle there in yeah. the West. Yeah, that's a, that'll be a big test actually for your. For your sp- well, for it's both the two teams. teams really that play the two towers because we've got Aldridge yeah. and Gasol, obviously not on the same level as AD and Boogie, but two two teams that stay big uh, pretty much no matter who who they're playing. So it's going to be an interesting uh, because they, they still play separate styles because they're different style of big men, but they're, they're playing tall. So that that's one that I'm, I'm looking forward to. And yeah, that'll be pretty good. So um, How it yeah. goes. Okay, Daz, well, look, we might finish off. We'll, we'll move on to our quiz. Um, make sure you can get to bed early to, to get up tomorrow morning for your big ashes trip. Uh, the What the quiz is going to be based around tonight is stats in this season's NBA so far. So we've got some individual stats and some team stats. And we're going right. to start out with some team stats. We've already spoken about this stat in terms of bench scoring. Uh, now, I can tell you that Toronto is one of the top benches in the NBA they are ranked number three in the yep. NBA in terms of bench scoring. Cleveland's ranked number two, uh, which in some ways surprised in some ways didn't because they've been u- using their bench, learning on their bench quite a bit. Who's the number one bench in the NBA? Who would you so this is in terms of, this this is in terms points, of per game? points per game. The number one bench in the NBA. And I would never have picked not, this in not the Toronto, huh? the season. No. Oh, boy. Um... Deary me, uh, who goes deep? Who goes deep? Who goes deep? Um, the Spurs play a lot of bench players. The Spurs? No, it's not the Spurs. Spurs are 12th. Uh-huh. Um, so as I said, it's not Let a me... team you would have thought of before the season, but they've had a couple of guys play well off their bench, including one guy that's been injured for quite a while, and the crowd used to boo him, and this year he's come back and playing well, and the crowd's now cheering him. Definitely not Boston. <laughs> Used to be booed, now he's being cheered. You're not talking about Lance Stevens or Dion Waiters, are you? No. No, I didn't think so. Definitely not Portland Philly. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to go, just in the interest of time, I know you've you've got me stumped. Um, I'm going to go with the Charlotte Hornets. No, it's the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, it is Memphis. Chandler right. Parsons is the player. Oh, and Tyreek Evans. And then Tyreek. Yeah. Uh, on the I, I was going to say that, but I, I backed away. Yeah, good, good. That's actually good. That's a good quiz. Now, this yeah, won't I've, surprise I've, you at all. Quickly, oh, sorry, what were you going to say there? No, no, I've just I've actually enjoyed watching Memphis this year so far. Mm. It's nice to see Parsons get back, and Tyreek looks like rookie Tyreek. He's, he's got his legs back, yeah. And this probably won't surprise you at all. The worst bench in the NBA, and I said Milwaukee is second worst. Who's the worst bench in the NBA? We were just talking about this team two seconds ago. Portland? No, one of our marquee matchups on uh, Thanksgiving Day. Play the two bigs. Oh, Pelicans, huh? <laughs> of course. Is it really? It is. 
It's still the worst bench. The yeah, worst well, scoring bench in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rondo's back. Oh, sorry, not the worst scoring. The worst scoring is actually Milwaukee, but the worst rated in terms of rebounds, assists, steals, like just overall production. Yep, it doesn't doesn't surprise me. The yeah, worst scoring. That's is, sad. Is Milwaukee, so that's great. That's great. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't. Yeah, we've we've talked too much about Milwaukee, but they're. That's the impact of trading Greg Monroe. Their entire bench for the last year and a half ran through him. So they've they got a whole. They got to do some coaching. <laughs> figure figure it out. They haven't figured it out. <laughs> well, let's talk about defensive rating. Now we're Boston the number one. Oh boy, we've spoken about that. Who's number two in the list? It's not Golden State. It's not Golden State. Golden State actually number nine. Oh. Um, Memphis is usually up there, but they're definitely not this Now, I'll give you a hint. Um, this team got a big bump on their opening night because they played a team that was just completely incompetent. Oh, did they play? So they played the Phoenix Suns early on, did they? Yes. Um, it's definitely not the Clippers. They're fucking terrible. Um, Oklahoma City? They didn't play Phoenix early on. Is it OKC? no. no. Opening what night the, against Phoenix. Think back to opening night. What, well, what's Oklahoma City ranked? I thought they'd they be ranked one. third. Oh, third. Oh, don't tell me. They, it wasn't the Lakers. They played the Phoenix. The Lakers I are fourth, but they, 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 they're up there as well. A lot of teams have been advantaged. I thought they played the Lakers. It's definitely not the Kings. The Clippers. No, it's the, the, oh, the Phoenix, they got bombed by Portland. Portland, that's right. Portland are the number two defense. What? In the NBA, in terms of defensive rating. So there you go. Never in a million years would I have guessed that. Uh, and Well, here's one no. you should guess very quickly. The worst defensive rating in the NBA at the moment. Yeah, it's still the Cavs. It's got to be the Cavs, of course. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, I was wondering, yeah, absolutely. But they, hey, they had a they had a good week, though. <laughs> well, here's a couple of individual stats to finish you off. So points, points per game leader at the moment. Do you know who that is? Well, fucking ain't Giannis anymore. No. Um, I think it's James Harden. It's right? James Harden. That's right. Who's the assist yeah. leader at the moment? Oh, geez, um, John Wall. No, it's also James Harden. What? Yeah. Oh, Christ. 9.9 assists, 31.6 points a game. I, I think he's playing better this year than he was last year. Yeah. Yeah, well. Unbelievable. Chris Paul's back. Yeah. <laughs> Here's one that uh, a, a top effective field goal percentage. Is it Giannis? No, I think Senna's. Guy that has really, I, I think this guy. DeAndre still? No, I think this guy is a young guy, taking a step up. But uh, this season plays with James oh, Harden. Clint Capella, he's Clint been Capella. amazing. Um, been unbelievable. He's um, got the highest effective field goal percentage, does he? Yes, at sixty-eight uh, percent. He's phenomenal. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what about this one? This one surprised me a little bit. Uh, blocks per game. Um, blocks. That's not. I always guess Giannis. He's not. He's not there though. Um, it's not Giannis, is it? No, no. no. Actually, look at total blocks because blocks per game is really a bear, but he's been injured. So if we look at total blocks, all right. You know who's been good is KD. 
KD has been good, but it's not KD. KD oh. is second. Yes. It's, it's going to be the... That's an old Marcus Salden, my boy. No, it's Chris Stapps Porzingis. What? 34. No, he just stands there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Really? Yep. No shit. All right. John well, Henson is 25. Yeah, he's been good for... He's actually been okay. <laughs> Henson's the least... I can't believe I'm saying that. Henson's the least of the Bucks' problems. I would have never guessed Zinger, though. All right, okay. Yep. So last one I will give you is... Who leads the league in true shooting percentage? This is your 50, 40, 90 guys, huh? Basically. Yep. Yeah, um, so I think the yeah, top... The top shooters, top top sort of three point shooters in the league. Uh, Tony Snell's oh number two. I'll give you that in. As I say, he's been he's been good again. It's not Clay, is it? No, we have mentioned this guy. He hit some hit some big shots for the Cavs at New York. Corver, huh? No, Cole Corver. That's right. So, what's Cavs, he shooting from three? What's he shooting from three point percentage uh, this year? True shooting is seventy percent. Get out of here. Uh, his three-point shooting percentage is... Oh, he's not listed here. Not that great. No. 44. 44, okay. The leader is... Oh, I was just looking at myself. Oh, he's got very few attempts. Clear Leach is the, the Clear leader. Clear yeah. yeah but Chan the Pass yeah. is shooting over 500. Yeah, 50, and CJ McCollum, holy Christ. Mm. He's 50 for 98. Look at the other thing. This is the guy who we bagged on last year, but is it actually no small part for Indiana's research this week is uh, Bogger. He's 44 for 91. He's hitting 48% from deep. Yep. And interesting. Freaking Robert Covington. Holy Christ. Well, we didn't Robert talk about Covington. the Sixers at all. Yeah, well, yeah. Robert Covington drafted by the, the Rockets. Do you think he'd fit in with that Rockets team at the moment? Nah, no, no. one No one needs a guy like that. <laughs> Athletic 3 and D wing who can shoot. Forty percent from downtown and finish at the rim. And I mean, I think he wow. is—he is an interesting case study and, and something we could probably look at in more detail in another episode about development of players because he was not that good coming out of college. So I, you, you wonder if he lands in a different situation, how his development goes, um, because it's just been—it was a perfect situation for him in Philly, where he could bomb away for a few years, and if he shot a low percentage, who cares? Let's see if he can get it get it going, and he, and he eventually did. So. Um, but uh, I think I dare say right now, Mike D'Antoni would absolutely love having him in any life that he was coaching. Yeah, he's like the I guess put him in the Chris Middleton camp, right? Where's just that that six eight six nine wing who you know and not very you know athletic enough sort of guy, very middle of the road athlete, but just a smart smart player who then developed a you know developed that um, shooting. So three and D plus, right? Three and D plus a bunch more. So yeah, yeah. Love Covington. Love Covington. Yeah. All right, Daz. Well, that'll be a wrap it up. We'll let you you get away. Enjoy your Ashes trip. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. We're going to break down some of the some of the other sort of storylines of the NBA so far. Maybe look at the, back on the, some of the Thanksgiving Day games as well. Uh, but uh, look look forward to talking to you again then, Daz. Thanks. I'll have one last one last comeback. If you if you got you want to watch the condensed game, watch yourself the Golden State Warriors versus 76ers game, where Philadelphia built a 21 point lead 
Joel Embiid is talking like he's Michael Jordan, getting in the face of everyone. Then Golden State outscores them 47 to 15 in the third. So if you'd like to, you poke the dragon and the dragon, <laughs> dragon burns you to a crisp and eats your entire family. Um, you might enjoy that. So yeah, the yeah. one, the one comeback we failed to mention. So it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that I was, think uh, Embiid's got a bit of shack in him. Whether he's got the talent to back up the talk and the, and the, oh, and the antics, we'll wait, we'll wait and see. But yeah, the, yeah. I just get that sense about it. That's the sort of character he's going to be. Through. He's just—he's just going to wind you up. But uh, yeah, so yeah, kudos to the the Dubs for coming back after that brutal refereeing thing, and then getting down by twenty-two in the first half against Philly, who they just had no answer for Simmons and Embiid, and then they said, "Fuck it," forty-seven to fifteen in the third, <laughs> thirty-two point outscored by thirty-two in a single quarter. So. Um, Anyway, yeah. I'm not. I'm not giving too best. many kudos to the cupcakes just yet, Daz. I'm not there yet. Oh, but, uh, mate, I know. I'm but glad you enjoyed. Look, that poke game. the bear, poke the bear. I could act like you've been there, Joel. Act like you've been there, buddy. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, good yeah. stuff, Daz. We'll um, we'll catch you next. No week. problems, mate. We'll talk again soon. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, mate. Bye.